if the engine stops, we all freeze and die. But will it stop or will it stop? No, no. Can you tell us why? The engine is eternal. Yes, the engine is forever. Yes. Rumble, rumble, rattle, rattle. Who is the reason why? We'll find ya. We'll Oh, I love that one. Such a tonic. Oh, it's time, children, come in. Come gather around, for it is time for another brand new episode of Ian Hates Movies. My name is Ian. And I'm Mandy. Mandy, hello, welcome back. <laughs> hello, good to be back. Wouldn't it be funny if that was just a surprise? Like every week we just had like a roulette of who would be the co-host, <laughs> and it was just always Kelly. But then today, <laughs> being Mandy. Yeah, that'd be pretty anticlimactic most of the time, though. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Mandy, for joining me. Kelly is off abroad right now, working in London, jolly old England, as they say. Do they? I don't know. Cheerio. Yeah, they do say that. (laughs) We miss you, Kelly. That is correct. And she is a little disappointed that we are doing Snowpiercer today. But (laughs) what are you going to do? Like, we had to start off 2017 with some hope. A great... Something uplifting, yep. not at all depressing. Not brutal in any way. <laughs> not great in stuff. any way, no. Yeah. We are starting off the year with uh, Chris Evans, so I will take it. <laughs> That's how I started off all my years, with some Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> I was recently told, hey, Ian, why do you pretend like it's a surprise of what movie you're going to be doing when the title says it? <laughs> I was like, you know what? I liked my joke that I was doing for a while, but apparently people didn't get it. So, yes, we'll just start saying the movie title at the very beginning. I think that's probably smart. It was never really it was never really a surprise. And I've never really been that smart. So works out perfectly. Works out. (laughs) That's true. So, yes, today we are going to have a ton of debates and we are going to go through I don't know, I answer most of the questions of Snowpiercer? I don't know, maybe just ask more questions. Yeah, I don't think there really are any answers. This is one of those that is very, it's a thinker, makes you think. <laughs> it is. But, <laughs> but it's also, it doesn't really give you a lot of answers at the other side of it. No, that's very true. And this is also a very, very polarizing movie because I know people that absolutely despise this movie. But I, why? I guess I don't, is my question. I'm guessing it's the weird parts that they put in. Besides that you can have debates about this and discussions about what the movie actually means and what it's actually representing, it can be fairly ham-handed in mm-hmm. its social commentary. So I think that's also why some people really hate it. And then some other people just really love it. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 95%. I think that it's a, st- a typical dystopian film, right? I mean, it is going to be the sort of philosophical, political, you know, what happens when there's a disaster and how do you recover from that? And what are all the social implications? Like it just, that is the type of movie it is. So if you don't like that, then don't watch this movie. (laughs) And also if you don't like trains, don't watch this movie. (laughs) Definitely don't watch this movie. (laughs) Like that would be the first thing I'd say to someone. Do you enjoy trains? (laughs) Because if not, you're fucked. Question two, do you enjoy amputated limbs? Because I would say that is the second most common theme in this movie. Gotta be completely honest like (laughs) I always am on this show. If you have a fetish 
for Lost Limbs, you're going to fucking love this movie. <laughs> A number one. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my thing, though, Mandy. I know everyone's out there questioning it now. It is not my thing. But I understand if people, you know, they've got their stuff, you know, everyone's got their kink and stuff, but uh, not mine. I don't know. Maybe it's not Kelly's. Yet. Maybe that's why Kelly's in London. Her <laughs> excuse for not doing the movie is she doesn't have to talk about that. It's possible. I think I think that's why she was so disappointed, maybe, that she wasn't able to talk about it. It combines. We'll have to ask her in the next episode. <laughs> it combines two of Kelly's most favorite things. Actually, three of them. Trains, Chris Evans, dismembered limbs. <laughs> She's going to be so mad. I just spilled all of her secrets. Well, I mean, how can you not? Isn't that everybody's favorite thing? Come I guess on. So. It sounds like a Cards Against Humanity thing that we just did. <laughs> Look, I hope people have watched the movie before listening to this, but you know, we'll try our best to kind of go through everything that this movie brings up. We can't completely go scene by scene on this because, first of all, it's a two-hour and like ten-minute movie, two-hour and six-minute movie. Yeah. But we'll talk about the generals. So let's start off right away and just let everyone know that for the beginning of this movie, like Mandy said, it's a dystopian future. And they talk about how they had this idea to combat global warming. It's 2014. They actually say it. At the beginning, right? But then it's like yeah. 2031 or something when they're actually yeah, 17 on. years later when we catch up. So but it starts by like playing this radio footage from 2014 where they're talking about how they're trying to combat global warming and their big idea is to send this chemical into the atmosphere. Well, it's not a chemical, Mandy. It's called the CW. So they're <laughs> shooting TV shows from now from the CW into the atmosphere. And surprise, surprise, it fucks everything up and brings on a new ice age. So for everyone that was worried about that new Archie <laughs> show called Riverdale, you should be worried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. So in some ways, this is a documentary more than a fiction. Well, I'm not even going to say documentary. This is a prophecy. All right. Just a couple years off. That's all. Oh, my gosh. Didn't you miss doing the show, Mandy? I did. I did. I missed this a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm so glad I could make a roaring comeback in 2017. Of course. I like that roaring comeback. But yes. <laughs> That's what happened. So this CW chemical material that they put into the atmosphere has an opposite effect. Well, actually, it has the effect they want. It does bring down the temperature of the planet, but it brings it down way, way, way too much. So now they are in a perpetual ice age. So the way that they get around this, or survive anyways, is that Wilford Industries has made a train that works on perpetual motion. And it keeps basically everyone alive as it does this circumvent track throughout the entire world, basically. So it takes one year to go completely around the surface of the planet. And it's not really clear. It's hard because there's some like propaganda throughout it that it's not really clear. <laughs> really? They, <laughs> I know, shocking, by that song we played at the beginning. Exactly. But uh, it's unclear whether or not Wilford, who's the guy who made this train, it's unclear whether or not he made it just to be this like fancy train or if he knew somehow that this chemical was going to destroy everything. And so this is the only way people could survive. They say that he knew ahead of time, but I don't know. I think that's just a load of crap. Because he was so rich, he just wanted to do something amazing like that and leave mm -hmm. the mark on the planet. But then while that was all happening, he also was like, well, if anything happens that's bad with that CW stuff, then we'll be fine. Yeah. And he certainly I mean, didn't do it clearly, for the betterment of anyone. No. It's 
Speaking of fetishes, <laughs> clearly Wilford has an unnatural affection for trains. That is very, very true, <laughs> as we will certainly talk about towards the end of this conversation. But I also wanted to ask you, too, did you notice, I don't know if it's just me and my ears now from doing so many podcasts and listening to so much metal music in my life, but did it seem like they were saying Wilfred? Yes. Okay. Yes. I didn't know if that was on purpose or people were just fucking up because I know it says Wilford, like W-I-L-F-O-R-D on everything, Mm -hmm. but it sounded so much like they were saying Wilfred for like half the movie. Yeah, it seemed really mumbled. And I think part of the problem was that there were so many different accents going on on this train and supposedly different languages that I think people were pronouncing it all weird, whatever. We were supposed to get it. Tilda Swinton's in the movie and she plays Mason and she is a British woman who also doesn't have her teeth. So she has dentures on the whole time, too. So that also could be an issue. Even when she doesn't have the dentures, she has some weird weird speech going on. I mean, she's specifically, yeah, so Tilda Swinton did a lot of character development with various like wigs and costumes and dentures and different ways to develop this character into like a caricature of a person that is all these crazy political despots throughout history to make this, you know, ridiculous person that you're supposed to hate. I think she did a good job because not only was she ridiculous, but I also hated her. So success. Yeah, it worked out perfectly. And look, (laughs) a movie like this needs those people too. Yes. So it really worked out very well. Yeah. The whole movie is very extreme and exaggerated. (laughs) No shit. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's what people have to also understand. Yeah, if you don't understand that this is very, very exaggerated, there's probably something wrong and this is not the picture for you. No, no. So Chris Evans is in the movie. We already mentioned that. His name is what again? Curtis. And then he has a kind of best friend named Edgar. I would go with sidekick. Yeah. I would say it's more of a sidekick type scenario. I think Edgar thinks he's the best friend, but it doesn't <laughs> seem that way, really. No. He's definitely the Robin character in this scenario. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And then there's Gillian, played by John Hurt. Mm-hmm. And Gillian... You know, talking about not having limbs, one of his arms is cut off, and then also one of his legs is cut off. Yeah. So he's walking around with pegs, basically. And he's super old, and he's the leader of the tail section. So the way this whole train operates is that it's ridiculously long. It's, like, got thousands of compartments in it. You start off by seeing all of these characters in the tail section, Mm -hmm. which is like steerage or like, you know, literally the lowest possible class. Yeah. And Gilliam is the leader of the tail section. Well, they say multiple times that Curtis is the leader, but he keeps on trying to give it basically to Gilliam. Even Gilliam sees himself more as the mentor of Curtis and the group. But Curtis really doesn't want that kind of pressure put on him maybe because you don't know his whole backstory yet but it makes more sense at the end when you know what he's gone through and why he probably doesn't feel worthy to be the leader it's more of like a i don't want to be a leader because i kind of hate myself type of thing and i don't want people looking up to me but he is forced into that position of being the leader of basically everyone (laughs) in the tail section Mm -hmm. and they have been masterminding a way to get to the front of the train, which is where the engine is. Now, keep in mind what Mandy said. 
in the movie itself, they do not show the train. Like the train is long, but as they're traveling, they're not talking about this going on for days of them going through thousands of compartments. You see like Mm -hmm. eight to 10 maybe. And I was actually disappointed in that, to be honest. Like I really, after watching this, the I want to know more about like what all the different compartments are and what is the like mechanisms of this and what is the science. And that's probably very cool. nerdy of me. But no, it's <laughs> it's funny to, for you to mention that. I mean, you can go ahead and you can read the graphic novel. Yeah, they have that and they have like a book as well that you can read. This isn't an original technically. I mean, apparently they went way off from what the book and the graphic novel were. By the way, if anyone is listening to this expecting us to go through the comparison between the two, not going to happen. We are just focusing on the movie, just so you know. (laughs) It is based on a French graphic novel. Yes. That is the extent to which we are going to cover that. And there are like two parts to it. One is the train ride, and then the other one is like 17 years later, where I'm assuming that humans survive somehow. Uh, There's a second train in the book, I guess. Oh, look at that. second section of the book. Mandy's coming with the knowledge. <laughs> I'm coming with my Wikipedia knowledge. <laughs> but I wanted Unless to... someone's trolling me with totally incorrect Wikipedia knowledge about this. It was me. It was Ian Hates. <laughs> it's weird. Did you not see the name? It's crazy. I expect nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to mention something funny that you said. So you want to know the science, but the train runs on perpetual motion, which isn't possible. <laughs> It's completely impossible. (laughs) It defies the laws of physics or thermodynamics to be more scientific. Since I am a chemical engineer, I should be able to talk about that. So laws of thermodynamics. But yes, it does run (laughs) on perpetual motion. So that kind of throws a science thing kind of out there. Yeah. Well, not that I don't care about the actual how the train moves, but I want to know like what are in all of these compartments? Like at some points there's eggs, but there's not a chicken compartment that they go through. So where are they getting the eggs from? Like, I'm just saying. And then that brings the whole question. What came first, the chicken or the <laughs> egg? Mandy, I got gotcha. you. You know, we're, we're going on so many tangents. I understand. That is one of the questions that we can't answer. We can't, guys. We can't. There are lots of jokes about it, but we just, we can't do it. But one of the main topics that's brought up in this entire movie is the whole debate on balance. That word is brought up a lot. That concept is brought up, especially on this train in society in general. It's not about being fair. It's about balancing this ecosystem. And I thought you brought up a good point off air about the whole amount of people per ratio of what you can actually have. And that in order for this society and the train to work, you have to have people die. You can't have overpopulation. Otherwise, everyone will die. As Curtis is the protagonist, right? And their whole mission throughout the whole thing is basically, you know, we're in the tail end and we're treated poorly and we get like fed awful stuff and, you know, it's not fair and we have no opportunity to move forward in the train. Like wherever you're born, that's where you stay. So, and throughout the train, there's like middle class and upper class depending on how close to the front you are. And so you're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, this is unfair. Like, this is ridiculous. You should be revolting. And I hope they get to the front of the train and take over and everything will be wonderful. But there is a point to be made about how do you control the population in a enclosed system? How do you set rules to make sure that people are able to survive and 
how do you set limit? Now, obviously, you want to say like, oh, everything should be equal and everyone should have the same stuff. But, you know, when we're talking about survival, how do you do that? No, it's very true. (laughs) And yeah, it's an unfortunate conversation. And I think we can bring up something later, too, about what you just mentioned. Sometimes you have to ask yourself, is Curtis the protagonist? You know what I mean? Like, is he actually a secondary villain? Technically, he brings everything down and kills thousands of people, maybe? A lot of people. Yeah, that's the thing. You never actually know how many people there are on this train. They say, like, Mm. oh, so we have to have, all right, keep 74% of the people and kill the rest. That's why they're consistently and constantly doing counts of how many people they have now. And the whole point is that they're saying this is the entire human race. This is the remainder of the human races on this train. There's nobody else anywhere else. Because it is literally an ice age yeah and you can see it i thought that's where the visuals were really good as well just showing the bleakness of the leftover world like huge tanker those tanker ships all like just crushed and in pieces and then the cities that are just frozen in time and there's just layers and layers of ice there certainly the like cinematography and the special effects on this movie were pretty amazing at times like that i would say that i really thought they did a great job with the visual effects and with the like choice of colors and it really i think makes a big impact on the movie so even if you don't like the movie in general for its point or for what it's saying you can't argue that it's actually visually a pretty stunning movie Yeah, you go from the very bleak and brutal and downtrodden tail end. And as, like you said, you make your way up almost to like middle class and onward. You see the aquarium that they have. And then there's the spas and there's the garden. There's all this kind of stuff. And it's all just progressively better, brighter, more colorful as you go on the train. And it is interesting to see how the passengers react because also there are no windows in theirs really either there are only these little holes that they use for punishment apparently and that's it so they actually see like almost the sun for the first time too when Mm. they go out and it's weird that probably should have affected their eyes a little bit more but yeah but in general they were definitely squinting but i was like if you have never seen direct sunlight like ever you probably should have more of a vampire reaction of like oh sunlight get it away exactly so i'm thinking do you like my impression no that was good ah sunlight get away that's every vampire movie ends like that spot on on. very good i bring you on here for your impressions (laughs) oh god that's a little sad (laughs) It would be for me. That's true. If that were, if that were, the case. <laughs> if that were true, that would yeah. be sad. So the director, we're going to butcher probably a lot of names, but the director's name is Bong Hyun-ho, I believe is how you say it. And he's a pretty acclaimed director. I unfortunately cannot speak to the other movies. I've heard of The Host that came out in 2006. I've heard that's very good, but I never got a chance to see it. But apparently Quentin Tarantino has said, He's like on the level of Steven Spielberg at his prime. He's a Korean director, I believe. I think you're right. Just to make sure. Yeah, I mean, the host is, it was a horror movie? Oh, yeah, it was a Korean horror movie. And so apparently he's supposed to be very, I mean, if we take it from this film, I would Mm -hmm. say that he's a good director. A lot of the actors, it sounded like said that that was part of the reason why they agreed to do this movie is because they had seen his work and the way he talked about it, his vision for it was pretty inspiring, I guess. So he was able to get a lot of really good actors. Right. I mean, he's got a lot of really good actors in this movie. And it's funny for a lot of the movies that we've done on Ian hates movies, the ones that are above 90% 
I think at least for right now, many of them have been Chris Evans movies. Yeah, because he's amazing. And I would probably <laughs> watch him read a dictionary and be okay with it. <laughs> you probably could. I'm sure he did that early in his career. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking for the majority of females in the United States, I would say, or across the world, I would say pretty much most of us would watch him uh, read a dictionary Do many and be things. okay with it. <laughs> pretty much. Well, if I've said anything about women, it's about time you guys read a dictionary. So, Oh. Oh, hold on. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. First sexist joke of 2017, baby. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. <laughs> At least on the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Oh, we kid because we love guys. All right. Mm-hmm. So what happens basically is every once in a while, people from the front of the train will come to the back to either administer punishments to give them this gelatinous protein bar, which is looks just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And obviously later on you find out that it's made of just insects. Yeah. And Crushed of course insects. Yeah, and it's millions and billions of insects that they're getting. And that's one thing you realize obviously in an ice age, even insects are gonna survive. Yeah, but I still don't understand if they're feeding an entire tail section worth of people with these gelatinous protein bars. Every single day, multiple times a day. How could you possibly have enough bugs? I'm sorry. Like, that would be a lot of bugs. I think that's the whole point. <laughs> it's a lot of fucking bugs. Like... <laughs> I mean, let's also point out that um, many of the people in the tail section clearly did not appear as if they were eating crushed up bugs every day for all of their lives. Like, Chris Evans has way too much muscles. I like, say that all the just... time. <laughs> <laughs> It's just not super realistic. Like, you should all be skin and bones if this is all that you are yeah. eating. Yeah, and Tanya is a little big as mm-hmm. well. And Octavia yeah. Spencer, yeah. Yeah, and they've been on the train for 17 years. So, yeah, yeah you're right. They should be, <laughs> I mean, even with the beginning part that they talked about for what they did for the first month or whatever, still, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be large. No, there's, it's, no. It's like they would all be unbelievably skinny so that and in some ways that might help control the population in the sense that they wouldn't uh probably have any energy to rebel they'd be like uh i should probably fight back but i really just want to take a nap well since apparently it's supposed to be all protein maybe because they're not getting to like work out it's (laughs) just like actually gaining fat we'll talk to a personal (laughs) trainer is that how that works yeah you have a nutritionist come on the show yeah if you have too much protein and it doesn't go anywhere. It just it becomes fat. If you're not burning it off to use it for muscle, then it just it's fat. So if they're not running around that train, which I don't think they are, they're in very tight quarters. Yeah, that's, I don't think that's how that works. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> trying to answer questions about Snowpiercer, Mandy. All right? <laughs> trying to make it make sense when it doesn't make sense. Yes, that is what my job is here. <laughs> so yeah, sometimes they take children as well. And that kind of gets everything rolling a little bit. So not only have they been planning this for a little while, but then also Curtis is getting these little bullets every once in a while. They look like bullets anyways, but bullets are scarce, at least maybe. It's it's a little <laughs> iffy on whether they're really scarce or not, but that comes up in a second. But he's getting these little bullets that have notes in them, and they say like one or two words about like what to do. So one of the notes tells him to go get this guy called Nam, who is locked up in the prison bay. So he used to be like the security, work on security, so he can get them access to the compartments farther up the train. Exactly. 
So you're supposed to think that someone up at the front is like helping him out by sending him these notes of like, this is what you should do. You need to get this guy and all this stuff. So in theory, they have someone up at the front who's helping them out, but you don't really know who it is. Right. The jumping off point of when they decide to actually go ahead with this plan, because obviously they know these people, they've got rifles, they're brutal. They do a whole scene where one of the guys after his son is taken. So his son's taken as well as Tanya's son, Timmy is taken as well. When he revolts and he throws a shoe, they put his arm outside of the train and lock it down so that it'll freeze off and then they sledgehammer it off of him. That didn't even happen to the guy that threw the shoe at George Bush. Look at me with the political commentary, right? I know. Well, I hope we're uh, not comparing the like post-apocalyptic militant atmosphere of a train to the Bush administration. I mean... The George W. Bush administration, I think, is close enough. <laughs> oh, uh, politics. But did you recognize that guy, though? The actor who got his arm frozen off? I did not. He's Spud in Train Spotting. Nice catch. Random character reference. It really was. Yes, well done. Well done. <laughs> well, obviously, he is pissed. I think his name is Andrew in the film. Yeah, possibly. Something like that. Whatever. Doesn't even most of the arm even frozen off guy. That's what I remember. Arm to frozen that. off guy. <laughs> Flows off the tongue, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> so right now we're gonna take a quick second and we're gonna play Mason's speech after the shoe has been thrown and while he's getting his punishment. Passengers, this is not a shoe. This is disorder. This is size ten chaos. This, see this, this is death. In this locomotive we call home, there is one thing that between our warm hearts and the bitter cold. Clothing, shields, no, order. Order is the barrier that holds back the frozen death. We must, all of us, on this train of life, remain in our allotted station. We must, each of us, occupy our preordained particular position. Would you wear a shoe on your head? Of course you wouldn't wear a shoe on your head. A shoe doesn't belong on your head. A shoe belongs on your foot. A hat belongs on your head. I am a hat. You are a shoe. I belong on the head. You belong on the foot. Yes, so it is. In the beginning, order was prescribed by your ticket. First class, economy, and freeloaders like you. Eternal order is prescribed by the sacred engine. All things flow from the sacred engine. All things in their place. All passengers in their section. All water flowing, all heat rising pays homage to the sacred engine. In its own particular preordained position. So it is. Now, as in the beginning, I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. When the foot seeks the place of the head, a sacred line is crossed. Know your place. Keep your place. Be a shoe. <laughs> that with putting the shoe on the top of the head. So you yep. wouldn't wear a shoe on your head, right? And it's just such a simple metaphor for them saying, you all are trash. 
and yeah. we're awesome and we're rich and better than you. So we're at the front and you're at mm-hmm. the back of the train. And it's just so propaganda, right? It's oh, yeah. so much the like she feeds into it of the like, no, this is the way it works. And the train is amazing. And Wilfred's amazing. <laughs> sacred and engine. Sacred engine and whatever. It, but she believes it. It's like it's almost an insanity. It's almost a delusion type type deal, Absolutely. which is in all of these systems, these post-apocalyptic worlds, there's always the like overlord or lords of some type. Mm-hmm. But then there's the next level of people that like feed into it. And that's what makes the whole system go, which is always fascinating. They're parasites. Mm-hmm. You see later on in the movie how quickly she turns. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's no doubt. <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm going to die. Oh, no, never mind. Yep. Let's take that Bye. other one out. Yep. <laughs> Bye. So that's the kind of catalyst to get everything going is they especially want to get Timmy and Andrew some back. Their big question, though, so Edgar is really, really like all about we need to attack. Like we need to do this. And Curtis is like, I don't know. He doesn't want all that pressure and he doesn't want all those people's lives to be on his head. Right. But one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they are deciding to go ahead and escape. They make this huge barrel system to stop the gates from shutting because they all open up at the same time for like four seconds. So they have to have a long system that's going to keep it open. So that's what they do with this barrel system. When Mason is talking to Gilliam, she says to one of the guys who like points a gun at him, like, put that useless thing away. And you can think of that as, well, yeah, he's not going to shoot someone that's useless. Like, why would you do that? But then you can also think of it as, wait, does she just mean that there's no actual ammo in that gun? Mm-hmm. So he runs up at the beginning and to show everyone, like, hey, follow me. You don't have to worry. Curtis puts the rifle up to his head and pulls the trigger. And when you realize, nope, there's nothing, they're like, there's no ammo. And then everyone just attacks. Yep. And I thought that was a very good way to show leadership and then also to be like, I'm willing to die for this cause so that even no one else has to. Because if he had been shot in the face, he would have died and there wouldn't have been an uprising. Yep. And he also just wanted to show that he was a badass. <laughs> yeah, and he is. He's Captain America. So, yes. In his knit hat and his long duster jacket. Oh, yeah. And you know what's so badass about fighting? It's fighting with a duster jacket on. Like, it always looks so fucking badass. I mean, look, John Wick taught us that, too. And Neo taught us that. Like, it's just, it's always badass when you have a duster. A pretty much a general rule is if you are wearing a duster, you look like a badass while, while fighting. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia had a great episode about that where Mac <laughs> wanted to wear the duster and, <laughs> and I think Dennis wore it without a shirt on. <laughs> they were onto something, I'm telling you. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Basically, so that we're not going completely scene by scene. They yeah. do get out. They knock people out and they take prisoners. That's the other thing too. They kill some people, but they do take prisoners. And they yeah. make it first to the prison area where they get Nam out. And Nam is addicted to this drug called Cronol. Mm-hmm. And this drug is toxic waste from the train that people sniff and it gets them high. And it's also noted that it's flammable. Yes. Like it's flammable industrial waste. So basically it's like a disgusting amount of chemicals, but I guess it can get you high. Yeah. And you're fucking you yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he also has a daughter, 17-year-old daughter called Yona, I think, Y-O-N-A. They don't say her name that often. Not that often, yeah, yeah, but it is Yona. Yeah. So he gets her out of storage too because that's what they're – they're like cryogenically stored 
Yeah, it's not really clear if they're stored and are sleeping or if they're literally just stored in storage containers as punishment. Like, Could be either, I guess. <laughs> it's really hard to tell. I would imagine they'd be going through withdrawals from the drug, though. Right. But anyways, so he's a reluctant helper, though. He doesn't really want to help because he's from the upper part of the train. He's mm-hmm. not. He's never been in the tail section. He's like, oh, you dirty tail section people. Like, I don't care about you. <laughs> he's just mm-hmm. like, my daughter's coming with us. And Curtis says, you get a cube of Cronol for every gate that you open. Yeah. So they, No, and then he says, I want two, one for me and one for my daughter. And he's like, dude, your daughter's doing drugs. And the guy's like, do you want my help or not? That's also, <laughs> that's also true. So then they make it, and there's a couple of fight scenes. And mm-hmm. they make it to a major pass where... They fight a huge compartment full of people in mass, and they've all got, like, axes and shit. And that's probably the most out-of-place part, (laughs) at least at this point of the movie, is you're like, what the fuck? And, you know, we skipped over where they found the food cart because, you know, it's the protein. That's where they learn about the insects and everything. Yeah. It's just like, oh, shit, it's time to fight, I guess. I'm wondering why, though, when he made this train, did he think, like, I'm going to need, like, 200 hatchets. I guess they knew they needed weapons. It's just to like, so that in case people have a revolution and I need to fight them with no bullets. I think that's exactly (laughs) what he thought. I think that's exactly (laughs) what he thought. He's like, we're going to have to have population control somehow. And you can't open the doors of this motherfucker. So (laughs) what are we going to (laughs) do? Hatchets. Yeah, hatchets. You know, it's no Daredevil one, the Mm -hmm. Daredevil Netflix one. That whole staircase scene is amazing. The one where they're in the corridor, the really tight corridor. But this one's still... It's brutal because you can only go forward. Like, you can't do anything else. So now you're just in this closed, confined area with people with hatchets and stuff. Very, like, realistic. Like, there's not a lot of people doing crazy ninja moves. No. It's literally like, we're going to hack at you with axes. We're just going to hack at each other and see who wins. Yep. Like, which I think was, if they had tried to do any sort of crazy ninja moves... Like there's that one guy who is gray, but gray's the shit, man. Gray's awesome. Um, But other than that, I thought they did well to do that and not try and say, oh, these people who lived in the back of a train somehow know Kung Fu. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, they haven't been training their whole lives. So for this moment, halfway through this, it looks like everything's going well for them. But then just more show up. And that's when Mason shows up again, Tilda Swinton, and starts telling them like, okay, just go back or we're going to kill you. And then they get a warning that a huge tunnel is coming as all of a sudden they pass the point for the new year. So all of the masked guys with axes start counting down to 10 like they're going to fight. But then they go, happy new year. (laughs) It was kind of funny, though. It was. No, I I like weirdness in my movies. So I'm completely fine with this. I like this. You know, it's, it's fine. Then, though, you realize, oh, shit, there's a long tunnel Mm-hmm. And then all the mask guys have the night, night vision, vision goggles. Yeah. So yeah. now they're like, oh, shit. So a lot of more people die when this mm-hmm. happens. But then Curtis says, hey, go get some fire. A couple people bring out the fire to him. And then they're fighting with torches and everything. And they level the playing field. Yep. And then probably the biggest choice or decision that Curtis has to make comes up in this time. Because as Mason gets a knife to her like calf or something courtesy of gray who like is really great at i think he was like gilliam's protector or something maybe um, maybe boyfriend Gilliam's boyfriend. yeah maybe boyfriend yep. 
but also fucking security guard or something too because he was badass at everything he was doing and he's a young kid too 15 probably covered in tattoos badass tattoos yeah (laughs) mason is about to get free and there are these two head security guards basically that she has that like to dress in suits one of them ends up getting edgar with a knife to his throat and curtis has to decide does he go get mason before the door is shut or does he save Edgar? And he makes the decision to go get Mason, which is not a hero move, by the way. Mm-mm. It's the best move to make. It is. If you, if you want to continue on with your revolution, that is the correct move. But heroes don't normally make that one. They assume yeah. that at some other time they're going to make it out or win at some other thing. But they're not going to lose their sidekick, best friend, second in command, you know? Mm-hmm. Mason tries to call them off. As this happens now, it looks like Edgar actually has a chance to get free. But then for some reason just kind of loses it (laughs) that maybe Curtis didn't choose him. And then turns his back on his attacker and then the guy knifes him in the back. Yeah. I mean, he was clearly like really heartbroken that Curtis didn't come and save him. It was actually kind of sad. It was very sad. (laughs) It's just kind (laughs) of sad. Where are your emotions, Amanda? Jeez. (laughs) Well, I mean, he was kind of annoying as a sidekick a little bit. He I was mean, a little bit, yeah. That's true. <laughs> a little bit of hero worship going on. It was like, okay, all right. like yeah. We all love Captain on. America. Yeah, it's okay. We all, <laughs> we're all there. We all love Chris Evans, all right? Like, yeah. why don't you just calm it down a little bit? But no, it was sad. And I think that it was unexpected for a movie that can be somewhat predictable at times. This was a unpredictable not unpredictable, but an unexpected choice to make for him. Because normally in the movie, the protagonist will always choose to save their best friend as a, or the sidekick as opposed to doing the right thing for the cause. Usually, it was more unexpected, I think, than a lot of other things in this movie. I was like, really? You're going to let Edgar die? I agree. <laughs> but it was the right move. I mean... Yeah, technically, it is, it is absolutely the right <laughs> move. It really is. And now, I don't remember if this happened at this point. I think that it did. It was very strange that I don't remember them talking about Edgar. But I think, is this where Curtis and Gilliam have the sit-down? Yes. Okay. So they have a sit-down. There's a couple really important points that if you only saw this movie once, maybe you wouldn't recognize it. But Gilliam specifically talks about how much better it is to have two arms than one. And Chris Evans kind of pulls back his duster i guess and and shirt or whatever he pulls it back and you can see there's a mark on his arm of almost like where he would have gotten cut Mm -hmm. and gilliam makes a note that it's pretty much healed you can't even tell you don't know what any of that is about first off then what he also mentions is when you get to wilford don't let him talk cut out his tongue yeah that's a big deal for what you learn later on Mm -hmm. and then he also this is where they kind of split up So now they've got Mason in chains, and then it's Gray, Curtis, Tanya, Andrew. And Oh, and Nam. Nam. Is it Nam? I've been saying Nam. (laughs) Nam. Whatever, yeah. (laughs) Nam and Yono. And Gilliam also said, I mean, they have a discussion about, like, do we move forward or do we, you know, sort of stay put? Because we've gotten control over the water system now, and we have the bug room. So technically, we could continue to be self-sustaining here, at least for a time. Or do we continue trying to push forward? Well, that's what he says. But then Mason says, no, like you're getting that water from the front of the train. 
Yeah. So we can cut that water off if we want to. That's yeah. it's all self-sustaining. You need the front because that breaks the ice, which gives the water right. to you. So yeah, that all goes in there too, which they didn't talk about. But yes, Gilliam definitely does say maybe we should fall back. But Curtis mentions multiple times every revolution or every revolt has failed because they mm-hmm. never make it to the engine room. He's like, I am yep. going to make it to the engine room. Yep. So that second, one of their second in command, like security guards, is killed by Yona. Mm-hmm. Because even when he has Mason all locked up, the guy tries to come after him and Yona like trips him onto a spear or a sword or something and he yep. dies. Now, I believe that that is the son of the other guy in a suit who ends oh. up, yeah. That's why he's continually coming after them and it's very personal. Got it. That would make sense. So they make it through all these different cargo areas and stuff. Yeah. And they go through the greenhouse and the aquarium and they eat sushi and like <laughs> there's like a woman knitting in the greenhouse. And it's just kind of hilarious to see all these like dirty, grimy, blood covered people being like, what the hell is all of this? Yeah. And then them also being like, what the hell are all these people too? Because the question right. you have to ask yourself is do other people, do the higher up people in this train, middle class and on, do they know about the tail section? They do, because then when they get to the schoolroom, which is, I think, the next place they end up at, one of the kids is like, oh, you're dirty tail people. You're lazy and you lay around all day. Yeah, and you drink your own shit. I just wonder if some don't, because it seems like people are pretty content not to rock the boat, pun intended, of it being mm-hmm. a train. I don't know. I think, but you're right. When they get to the classroom, it seems like some children, like their parents are telling them these awful stories, possibly what the rich talk about when they talk about us. Well, I was going to say, this is not new. This is a typical classist, you know, like rich people are like, oh, the poor people, they're just lazy and gross. Like, that's why they're so poor, because they're horrible people. Typical type attitude that they really believe it. Little kids, they really believe it. Yeah, because that's what they're taught. It's that whole Mm -hmm. nurture over nature. And nature does play a big role in this movie. But they're also showing that nurture, especially in this kind of thing, can have a very detrimental effect over small minds. That's how people cope with the fact that they are able to mistreat other people. It's like, oh, people in the tail section are treated poorly. Well, if I just say that they're lazy, that'll make me not feel bad. And that's what they did. And look, the classroom part is my favorite part because (laughs) it's so fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Yeah. And that's obviously, like Manny had said, that's the opening to the show today. But then also just everything that's going on in that situation. Just looking at Curtis's face as he's watching this. He's so disgusted. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can't believe. And then what's also interesting is they're looking for children that have been taken from the back. But those children are not here. Yeah, They're not taking children from the back and indoctrinating them into the higher society. Nope. So at this time, a guy with a huge trunk load of eggs, I guess, fresh eggs, comes through. And everyone's like, oh, fresh egg, blah, blah, blah. That's the first eggs of the new year, whatever the fuck. And they go ahead and as they're going through, he's panning him out. It's this bald guy, this creepy looking bald guy. And he gives an egg to Curtis and it has a hole in it. And it happens to have a bullet in it Mm -hmm. as well, which means a message is now getting to him again. He opens it up. It says blood. 
And that's because the guy who's been passing out the eggs has guns at the bottom of the mm -hmm. trunk. And it turns out that they do have ammo for when they want to use it. He just lays people to waste in the tail section. And then the teacher, she kills Andrew like right in the head and mm -hmm. is shooting at people. And then Gray ends up fucking sticking her right in the, <laughs> right in the head with, <laughs> with a knife. Mm-hmm. This is where Mason's like, I had no idea. I didn't, you know, I didn't set this up. I didn't know. But Curtis has had quite enough of that. And he shoots her in the head. He's like, I'm not yeah. bothering with this bitch anymore. But <laughs> so there is a screen that they were watching a propaganda video before. He looks up at that screen and they show the older security guard. He's got Gilliam and he executes him on the screen. So that's what pisses off Curtis. And now, you know, all hell is going to break loose, basically. Yep. So basically now, I mean, the tail section is back under Wilford's control. So it's just this still small group left who's heading to the, the engine, to, to the, the engine. beginning of the train. Yep. Kind of far away, there are two security guards with the older security guard. And now they're chasing with guns while they're still making their way through. Yeah. So they make it to this part where it's like the train is going on the track where now you can see, like it's not going in a straight line anymore. It's taking a yeah. large, large curve so that you can see the other sections as they're going. And they have this really weird but really kind of cool shootout between them, which is a waste of bullets. <laughs> Right? I thought cool. this whole thing was totally unnecessary. It was, but it was cool. <laughs> it was kind of cool in a way. I don't know. It's just it was Curtis facing off against this old security guard who now, you know, his son was killed while his best friend and mentor were killed. So they both hate each other. And they're taking these shots. Somehow they're amazingly great. <laughs> in a moving yeah, train. Never shooting a gun. I, I apparently Curtis is great at it. Yes, very, very, know. very good. So they're, they're firing. And then the last scene of this part is that there's little openings in the windshield or whatever, in the window that they've been firing out. There's little openings right next to their faces. So they're both staring each other down. And then Curtis takes a shot and it hits just like an inch away from that opening and would have, if that window wasn't there, would have been a headshot, but just a little bit off. And he also shoots a second shot and it's an inch off of the opening for him too. So they just like have a stare down. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh, soundboards. I mean, I don't see the purpose of that other than to, you know, make the rivalry more dramatic also waste bullets, so now Curtis has, like, no bullets. Yeah, and neither does the other guy. And then snow comes in through the window. That's the only other thing. And that's significant later. So now they go into this, like, spa. <laughs> They're hiding in the spa, obviously, because there's lots of doors. And mm -hmm. they want to get away from the security guards. You know, the main one kills a passenger. And then the other security guard's like, I'm going to report you. And then he kills him. So now there's only two, basically. The Star Trek red vest <laughs> <laughs> security guard gets killed. <laughs> And now it's just the main guy. He has a little bit of a fight with Gray. And he kind of gets the best of Gray a little bit. And then Tanya comes out of her hiding place. Now she gets shot by the head security guard. And then Curtis comes out. And they fight for a little bit. And Curtis gets knocked out somehow. It was, I think it was mm -hmm. that kick to the face that knocks him out. <laughs> so he's not that Captain America. Yeah, he's not Captain America in this movie. He gets he knocked the fuck out. But now... <laughs> Another great scene, but very brutal and very graphic. And like we said, this movie is pretty brutal and pretty graphic. 
Gray is laying near him. So as the head security guard goes to take this knife now and basically probably stab Curtis in the head or the heart or whatever, Gray sticks out his hand at the very last second. The knife goes through his palm and somehow he's able to stop the knife from going into Curtis. So they have a little back and forth, but he's got a knife in his fucking hand. (laughs) So the security guard then, with a very personal touch on this death right here, he takes his hand with the knife sticking out of it and then sticks that into Gray and Gray dies. It was really slow, too. It was one of those, I'm going to stab you really slowly. Yep. Like, what's that, Saving Private Ryan or something? Yes. No, it was very Saving <laughs> Private Ryan. Like, shh, shh. And I thought they were going to kiss for a second. I thought that's how close they were and how personal that moment was. <laughs> that did not happen. Luckily. Luckily. Because you wouldn't want Gray cheating on Gilliam. So. Well, Gilliam's dead now. I mean, That doesn't not? make him he's a free man. man. He's got, no, come on. He's, he's hurting. His heart's hurting. <laughs> So finally, Nam and Yono like jump out of there behind some really fat woman in the spa. (laughs) They jump out and they attack the head security guard. But he somehow like he's really good at what he does because he kind of gets the best of them as well. But Curtis finally wakes up and stabs him in the side. Now, we have to make a note because I'm sure everyone's seen the movie probably. But they should have finished the job just to make sure. Seriously. I don't understand why people don't do that. They've killed so many people. You would think, hey, this guy's been a real dick. Like, maybe we just make sure he's dead. I mean, can't you just check a pulse? Like, it takes all of two seconds. Mandy, I'm also going to say something. I wouldn't, you know how I check his pulse? I check it with a fucking knife and I keep stabbing (laughs) him. Like, I cut off and slit his throat. Like, that's how I would check his pulse. Fair. That's fair. Because the thing is now, now that they know that the front of the train isn't taking any prisoners because they actually were keeping prisoners and not killing them. But then they went back and killed all the people in the tail. Well, not all the people, but killed a significant portion of the tail. Now they know that there's no reason to keep prisoners. So why even, you know, it's not going to help him open up the engine room or anything. Yeah, no, they think he's dead. That's the thing. But they didn't check. They're lazy. Amateurs. Amateurs. (laughs) (sighs) Amateurs. So they continue on. Now it's just Nam, Yono, and Curtis. Yeah. So they go through like the unch, 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 unch EDM <laughs> club portion of the fucking train. I mean, by the way, let's also, there's not just a poor person and a middle class and a rich people area. There's also a total douchebags club kids oh, yeah. area of the train. It's like... <laughs> It's like the going out to Boston clubs. That's what it says. Pretty much. Pretty much. And while they're going through this, now, Curtis is just like stone-faced. Like, he is past it all. He just, he has to get to the end. Everything that he loves or pretended to love or whatever, everything that he was doing this for seems to be gone pretty much. But he has Mm -hmm. to make it to that engine room. Nam and Yono, though... They're taking all the chronol from, and I mean, obviously these people are partying with it. So they've got cubes and cubes of it. So they're taking it from like, and you can hear them getting angry about it, but they're not really fighting back because they're all high and they all probably have never been in a fight in their life. They also grab some fur coats and then Yona grabs a bottle of wine and drinks like the whole thing. Yeah. Because apparently right now is a good time to get drunk. But she's never (laughs) done anything before, so she doesn't know. (laughs) 
So I'm then, just saying this is great timing because oh, ultimately yeah. she just passes out for like 10 minutes of the movie. Well, I thought she got knocked out. No. Oh, really? I thought she got <laughs> knocked out in the scuffle. All no. right, we're, we're skipping just a little ahead. So they make it to the big engine room. And there's a huge door that they can't. That's the last gate. But then also to the right of it, there's another big door leading to the outside. Yeah. So see, at this point, Curtis has just lost it. He's just like open the gate and he starts just pounding on the. He starts punching the door and then him and Nam get in a fight there. So that's why I thought she got knocked out during no, that she scuffle. Passes out before they start. Fighting. Oh, okay. All right. She just like passes out and lot. I mean. We have not really been talking about how they have been presenting Nam right. and Yona because sure, sure. they are like she's supposed to be a little bit clairvoyant. Yeah, and she's very bizarre reactions to things, and like she's just a little bit nuts. But the clairvoyant thing only comes up twice. It's once. <laughs> it's once to tell them that there's no one in the next car, and then there's once too late to tell them that there are a lot of people in the <laughs> next car. <laughs> That's the one with the axes and stuff. So yeah, we haven't. You know, there's also a weird scene which you find out later that. They were looking outside during all the chaos. They were looking at one specific point that they were actually checking out. So we'll talk about that in a second. But basically, Nam and Curtis have a little bit of a scuffle. Yep. And then Curtis basically breaks down. And we're going to listen to his monologue right now (laughs) because I love it. You ever been to the tail section? Do you have any idea what went on back there when we boarded? It was chaos. Yeah, we didn't freeze to death, but we didn't have time to be thankful. Wilford's soldiers came and they took everything. It's a thousand people in an iron box. No food, no water. After a month, we ate the week. You know what I hate about myself? I know what people taste like. I know that babies taste best. (sighs) And then one by one, other people in the tail section started cutting off arms and legs and offering them. It was like a miracle. And I wanted to. I tried, I just... (sighs) A month later, Wilford soldiers brought those protein blocks. We've been eating that shit ever since. Eighteen years I've hated Wilford. Eighteen years I've waited for this moment. And now I'm here. I love that monologue. (laughs) I love it. I hate knowing what humans taste like. And I hate knowing that babies taste the best. (laughs) I laughed out loud when I saw the movie the first time. And I'm not saying he said it bad because I think Chris Evans, I think, is great in this whole entire movie. No, he acts that very well. It's just... Very believable and realistic, his reaction. Yeah, I've just never... He's been holding everything in. For this entire yeah. movie. And this is the moment that he talks about everything 
you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it just happens to be Nam who doesn't really care for him that much. He has, I think by the end, he has respect for him, but yeah. he's still a dirty tail person to him. <laughs> so Curtis tells the entire story of what happened. He actually killed Edgar's mother to eat Edgar. Like that was what was going to happen. He was going to eat <laughs> Edgar. But then Gilliam comes up to him and all the people around and cuts off his own arm and says, we'll eat this instead. Yeah. Don't eat that baby. Eat this. And then other people as a sign of let's stop this killing. Let's all be together. Whatever you want to call it. They start cutting off limbs as well so that people can eat it. This was at the first month of being in the tail section because they did not have those protein bars at the beginning. Yep. So what I think they said it was actually a couple of months. Yeah, a couple. It was like, I, didn't they say the second month or something they came in with the protein bars? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but, after the Edgar thing happened, it was a month later that yeah. they brought in the protein bars. So they were eating limbs for a month. And that's the thing they also mention is so they come into this train, not necessarily as poor people. They come into the train maybe as middle class or whatever, but they didn't buy the big sections of the train. You know, like these other high class people did. So then the police and security come in and take everything of value to them. Yeah. So now they're just nothing. They're left in squalor and they don't know what to do and they never know if they're going to get food or not. So then right. they turn to cannibalism. So he goes through all this. And what I thought was an interesting part, too, and it was supposed to be that mark on his arm is when he tried to cut off his arm, but he just couldn't do it. Yeah. So it's almost like his whole life, that 17 years that he's been on this train, has been trying to make up for that. Yeah. Well, first that he tried to, that he killed Edgar's mom and then, and ate humans and babies, but also that he feels like he wasn't able to do this great sacrifice that was so meaningful when Gilliam did it and when other people did it and he wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to. Yep. Exactly. It's one of those really terrible stories that you're also like, makes you think like what would i do like what would any of us do we're in a train with people we're starving we're gonna die like what what do you do let's get back to that question (laughs) let's get back to that question because we'll we'll answer it in a second so nam then says i don't want to open this gate for you Mm -hmm. i want to open that one and he points to the one leading to the outside and he goes into his whole thing about how he wants to get off the train his goal is not to stop the system that's happening right now. His goal is to get back to nature because he believes that for the last 10 years, the part he was looking at in the train when he was looking outside is a plane that had crashed. That he, at the beginning, only saw the very tip of the tail. But now, almost the whole plane is in view. And when that snowflake came in, he was like, this is a dusting, basically, of snow. This is the push it away and it falls. It's yeah. going away. It's not ice. It is not that main stuff that was there 17 years ago. It's thawing out. Mm-hmm. So where Wilford is the status quo, Curtis is the revolution, he's the anarchy. He wants the system gone completely. Yeah. The interesting part for you to think about, Mandy, and I'll ask you this, which part would you be? Would you be the revolutionary? Would you be the status quo? And this is obviously, we can't talk about, you know, being as hungry as they were. You know, it's not saying anything like that. But or would you be the anarchist? Would you be the let's fuck everything up and see if human beings can survive without all of this? Well, first, it would depend on where I am on the train. 
So if you're Number the rich, one. yeah, if you're the rich person, you're staying. <laughs> I'm staying. Whatever. I'm right. sorry. I'm just. Gotcha. I'm staying. But it also, I think that the anarchy is too soon, and we sort of discussed <laughs> this a little bit beforehand. I would be happy to get out of this train into the real world, but like, can we let the snow melt like a little bit more? That's the question too. Could you last another 10 years in that system in the position that they're in? Or could you last in that position if you were to take over for Wilford? Knowing what the tail section went through because Mm -hmm. you lived through it and they said, hey, you've done such a great job. And this is how they would probably act. You've done such a great (laughs) job of fighting your way all the way up here. What if we just let you stay up here for another 10 years and then we can check to see what the outside life is. Would you be able to live with yourself knowing what everyone else is going through? I mean, I'd like to say no, but I probably would. <laughs> no, I look, I get it. And that's the thing. I guess even in our lives right now, there are people that are so much worse off than we are no matter what, and we still live our lives. So it's hard to say. Now, in a dystopian future, though, I would hope that I would be better that I look, I'm always going to want to fight. That's my thing. So it would mostly be the revolutionary part. I would have been like Edgar that whole time of like, when are we fighting? What, like fighting now? Like when? Like, let's do this. Like, that's what if I'm eating protein bar things over there in the tail end, I would have been dead a long time ago because I would have fought like in a second. But I also really, really like the idea of anarchy. I really like the idea of blowing the fuck out of that train. Now, I would have done it better where maybe other people would have survived. I think that would be the plan would be to stop the train. We did not mention. We said that there were other revolutions, you know, other revolts. There's one that they specifically show that has seven people that are still frozen. Mm -hmm. And the leader was an Eskimo who believed that they could survive. Now, they didn't say what year that was, but I'm guessing by the story that that is Yono's mother. Oh. You see what I mean? Yeah, I think Nam and her got together, and that's why they talked all the time, because he mentioned that she was like a maid in the upper section. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened. Yeah, that would make sense. That would kind of be my... I understand. I mean, I would like to think that if I was in those rich sections and knew what was happening in the back... I mean. Certainly, I would try and make things better. Like, I would see what I I could do to be like, dude, can we, like, can we try and fix this? Because this doesn't seem fair and try and make it better. I just, I am also a, so much of a practical, realistic person that I'm also like, this is the entire human race. Right. Like, I can't anarchy up this too much because I am not willing to risk the human race completely dying out, although... Whatever. But Maybe is it, that would be better. Yeah. Is it worth it? I think that's also the question. <laughs> is it fucking worth it? Because if that's the way humans are going to act, then why should they be saved? You know? Well, if I know it was temporary, that's the other thing. Is if you said you have to wait 10 years, right? <laughs> if I knew it was temporary, uh, sure. I'd be like, okay, let's suffer through this for 10 more years and then save everyone. Look, either way for me, I'm not surviving because I wouldn't be able to survive in that cold. <laughs> so even getting out there is just a snowy hell. So. <laughs> It wouldn't work for me. I'd be yeah, like, you'd be like, nope, I'm all set. Yep, I choose death. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to take some of you fucking EDM motherfuckers out. <laughs> uh, so what happens is we'll get to more debate in a second, too. Curtis is like, you're full of shit. I'm like, that's not going to happen. You're a crazy person. As this is happening, because 
they can hear what's going on inside <laughs> the engine room. This woman, Claude, who you see one time, she's the one that the shoe got thrown at her. She was taking children. She yeah. comes out, shoots Nam in the stomach so that he's not dead. Once again, he's not dead. And invites Curtis in. Curtis gets in and there's Wilford, played by Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. And you can tell by him already he's a little crazy. Yeah, but he's like oddly calm the whole time. Like he's the kind of like very calm, matter of fact, but also what you're saying is kind of batshit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which is a little bit even more unnerving. Oh, like yeah. I, I feel like it would be better if he was just like totally bonkers. But no, he's so calm about it. Yep. I'm like, ah, this is this is unsettling. Because mm-hmm. he starts talking about balance again. Wilford keeps talking about how him and Gilliam are friends or were friends. And it makes complete sense because you don't have to believe it right away. But then he starts quoting things. He starts talking about the two arms to hug a woman instead of one. And he's asking, he's like, hey, here's a bullet for you. You know, it's like you were the one giving me these the whole time. But it made sense that the front and the back of the train would have to have balance. And Gilliam knew that. He was very, very smart. And Wilford knew that, and he's very, very smart. He obviously created the engine. He created the sacred engine and everything. (laughs) Got to be heartbreaking to someone like Curtis who feels manipulated by all of this. And in a way, he is completely manipulated by it. I mean, does that make Gilliam a bad person? Orchestrating, essentially, they're saying saying like, yeah, you were a puppet. Like, we manipulated you to orchestrate this revolution for population control so that we could justify killing both the tail people and the people. He's saying to Curtis, like basically we've been manipulating you this whole time. Me and Gilliam, we orchestrated this entire revolution for you to go through so that we could kill a whole bunch of people in the tail section and some people in the front of the train for population control purposes. And you were supposed to stop at the water place and not keep going. And more people died than we're supposed to. So that's why we killed Gilliam. Yeah. And Curtis is like, I thought I had free will and this is totally messing with my brain. Yep. Which is fair. So I thought one of the best quotes, especially from Wilford to Curtis, was Wilford says, Curtis, everyone has their preordained position and everyone is in their place except you. And Curtis says, that's what people in the best place say to the people in the worst place. It is also true in this very closed ecosystem that they have. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about from the beginning, you have to have population control. And that's why they've set up these revolutions every three to five years or whatever it is. It's just this time Curtis had the idea about the fire, which completely fucked everything up for the front people and then continued to go on, which mm-hmm. no one has done before. Yep. I mean, and the whole thing is, very it makes sense and it's from a scientific standpoint from a biological standpoint you have to agree with them that you do have to have population control or everybody dies but it's so cold and calculating and you would you can never actually imagine yourself going through with something like that right at least i couldn't (laughs) no no it'd be very it'd be very obviously we don't have population control now you know (laughs) It's, it's not happening. So, I don't know. It's a very interesting thing to think about, and it's, especially for this movie, to be able to think the way. Because then what happens, and just to kind of run through it quickly, the EDM people get mad that all their, their fucking drugs are stolen. 
I don't even think we we mentioned it, but remember how we said that Nam wants to get out? He was collecting the drug, the Kronos or whatever. I keep on wanting to say Kronos. I don't think it's is that what it is? Konal <laughs> no, or something? Kronal. Kronal. Yeah, Kronal. I want to say Kronos because of Marvel. <laughs> he keeps collecting these cubes of Kronal, not just to get, you know, a little bit high on them, but also because when you put them all together, it's a huge bomb. So he's gonna yep. use this huge bomb on the door. So now all the EDM people are like, fuck, we need our drugs back. So they start attacking Nam while everyone else is in the engine room, you know, and Yono is still, you know, passed out, I guess. <laughs> no, well, she finally wakes up and he's like, you got to blow up the bomb. He, he like, tells her, like, you got to blow up the bomb. But then also the head security guy wakes up and makes his way all the way out as well. So now Nam has to fight him, too. Yeah. So... The whole thing comes down to Wilford is old and he's saying, Curtis, what if you took over the train? This is what Gilliam wanted. This is what I want. Why don't you be alone for once? And Yono makes it in. You know, they kill. Don't they kill Claude? Uh, Yes. yes. No, they knock her out. They knock her out. Yeah, whatever. So she's out of the picture. (laughs) So Yono runs in and Curtis stops her because it's getting to him that he actually should take over this train like maybe that is what's best for everyone is for me to do this but then because yono has that psychic ability or whatever Mm -hmm. she all of a sudden starts scratching at the floor and finds an opening opens it up and there's timmy down in the train mechanism trying to work it like his little hands are fitting Mm -hmm. in this complex machinery and that kind of snaps Curtis out. Yeah. Curtis knocks out Wilford and he goes to get Timmy out. And this is where the arm thing comes in because he finally, finally has the guts and the nerve and the confidence, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And he jams his hand down into the mechanism and it almost cuts off his arm. Like mm-hmm. he's in extreme pain trying to hold it so he can get Timmy out. But Timmy's been kind of like brainwashed, it seems. Yeah. And there's the other little kid who also appears and he like gets into this other contraption and Curtis is like, dude, no, (laughs) yeah, no, like don't do that. And like, nah, bro, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't say anything. (laughs) And And just totally ignores him. Yep. And that's when Curtis really knows that there's no stop, like gets Timmy out, gets his arm out and they realize, no, we have to blow up this train. Because Wilford's like. Yeah, so this train goes on forever, except for some of the parts have broken down. So now we need to use small children from the tail end to operate the train. So, and that's like Curtis's breaking point of like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take part in this. Yeah, I've had enough of this. So they set up the bomb, they light it up, and then it's Timmy, Yono, Nam holds them both, and Curtis hugs them from the other end. Yeah, and then after ripping his arm yeah. off in the machine. Yep. And then pretty gross. <laughs> Wilford. Oh yeah. And then Wilford's just eating there and he's like, nice. And then the <laughs> train explodes. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. I mean you would think he would have more of a reaction to this than just like, good job, guys. It's once again, I think it's when he has that whole monologue about how you have to be a little crazy or a little bit, you know, whatever to be on this train. I think that's his whole thing is he just doesn't even care either. You know, he's just like, oh, now I die. (laughs) Well, if my train's going to die, I'm going to die because 
I'm secretly in love with it. Not <laughs> That's so also the not so secretly, yeah. <laughs> and it's also pretty interesting too. There's that concept of no matter what you do, life repeats itself kind of thing as well. They do this mm-hmm. in the Dark Tower. They do this in a lot of different books and movies as well, where basically if Curtis had just gone ahead and Nam wasn't there and Yono wasn't there and Wilfred was just like, now it's your turn. It would just be a never-ending cycle of, okay, every three to five years we'll have a revolution and you know we have to keep the population in control. And it would just be, he would be the new Wilfred and someone mm-hmm. else would become the new Curtis and the new Gilliam. Yeah. So that's always an interesting concept. But the train explodes in the front, but that's not enough to take down the entire train. It was just literally to open up the gate. It wasn't enough yeah. to like explode the whole train. But because it was such a large explosion, they're going through mountains with tons of snow and ice. So it creates a huge ass avalanche that destroys like just thousands and thousands of people. However many on that train are definitely dead because most yeah. of those trains are knocked off into cliffs and down huge ravines and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then it really only seems like the first few actually slow down in the avalanche. And then that's where Yono or Yona and Timmy survive. And they put on the coats and they go outside. And that's it. You don't know of any other survivors whatsoever. Yeah, because the first four cars like get into a tunnel and then all the other ones get wiped out in the avalanche and they go into a tunnel and then they skid out of the tunnel. And so it's a much easier landing than the other like hundreds and hundreds of cars. Right. So it appears that they are the only two that survived. Yep. And then when they leave the train, they look up and they see a polar bear, which means mm-hmm. that other things can survive outside now compared to the original. No, what it means is that those two kids are about to get eaten by a polar bear. <laughs> And the human race is done. So the director came out and said, I guess Bong came out and said (laughs) something like this was a very hopeful ending because they're going to grow up and they're going to be able to survive outside and then they're going to repopulate the earth. That's what he said. I don't agree. I mean, I think that is the very hopeful nature of what he was (laughs) trying to do. But these two kids never set foot on earth until that second. She's a very, very immature 17-year-old. He's like mm-hmm. four or five. <laughs> yep. I don't know. Somewhere around there. He's been slightly brainwashed, so I don't know four. when that will... They said that they can't have kids under the age of five operate the things. So he's four. Okay. Four yeah. years old. There we go. Yeah. So a immature 17-year-old girl and a four-year-old who's been slightly <laughs> brainwashed, who's never been on the planet before. <laughs> it's still fucking cold outside. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to survive more than a couple days, but maybe that's the negative part of me saying that. I don't know. I think it's ridiculously optimistic to say these two kids, like you said, who've never been outside in planet Earth, are not going to get seriously injured, who get some disease or whatever until they're able to have kids. Yeah. Hypothermia, like. Like they can find food and water even though she didn't even know what dirt was. Yeah, she didn't even like, know what fucking dirt was. Three hours ago. Yeah, that's the like, thing. Like, look, seriously, here's a serious question for you, Mandy. If we had a fucking ice age right now, <laughs> would you be able to go outside and survive on your own? They were they were in the fucking mountains. It wasn't even like they the train had stopped by a city that you might be able to scavenge for things. But even after 18 years, there's not going to be anything there for you to scavenge anyways. So where are you going to fucking live? <laughs> like, I don't, 
Like, if anything, they're going to have to go right back on that fucking train. And hopefully there's enough stuff in those first three carriages or whatever to have something there for them to use for shelter and food and everything else. Oh, yeah. I guess you could say they could go to some of the old, like, cars and get, like, some of the meat, whatever, and cook it. But how do they even know? How do they even know how to cook meat? Like, they've been eating protein bars. Yeah. They don't know how to cook meat. They'd probably have to eat humans, which is something that, (laughs) that Curtis was certainly not ready for. That's going to fuck them up for the rest of their lives. And then they're going to have to have sex and procreate. And then their children will have to have sex with them. And then there'll be multiple. Or with each other. Or, and with each other. Oh, it's going to. Oh, I guess. Uh, I mean, that's just the way it's going to have to be. There's nothing else. These poor children are like <laughs> going to have to go through hell and probably are going to die. That's that's the that's the ending. Yeah. I mean, look, you right. can look at the hopeful part. That there, that nature is still going on, and you know, yay, all that kind of stuff, and maybe the human race has a chance, but really, that's the slightest of chances you could ever have. Honestly, my money's on those both of those kids being killed by that polar bear, or the thousands of polar bears that could be out there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know <laughs> the wolves that are probably roaming around. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh fuck! Yes, it's funny, <sighs> but that is the end of the movie. <laughs> Yay. Yay. In terms of the ending, I think it was pretty decent ending in the sense I don't think it was super predictable mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, they could have had it end where they had the revolution and then everything stays the status quo or, you know, Curtis takes over the train and now everything's better. But I think it's more interesting to have it. Be, oh, yeah. No, now we're just going to blow up the train and something <laughs> completely different is happening. I think... The other way, definitely the other ending could have certainly been that Curtis just took over for Wilford and then it became the status quo. Yeah. That's what it would be is they would just you'd show like another revolution getting ready. They would just keep everything status quo and no one would ever know because he always stayed in that one room with Claude anyways, it seemed. So that would just be Curtis's life now. Or you could have a scenario in which the tail folks become the upper class and then the upper class goes to the live in the tail. I highly doubt that would happen, but you <laughs> could do that. You could try that. You certainly could. <laughs> but yeah, so look, I guess we're having some technical difficulties here. So I do think we could probably talk a little bit longer, but maybe we'll do that on the anniversary show because I know Kelly has a lot of theories about this too. So we can always finish it. We call it like a little part two of the actual more debates and everything. So let me ask you this, Mandy. Would you recommend Snowpiercer? I'd say yes. It's certainly not my favorite movie of all time, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining. I like the cinematography and the effects. I think the premise is interesting. So there's enough going for it that I would recommend it as a movie, but it's probably not on my like top, you know, 20 movies ever. Yeah, this didn't, I mean, dystopian future movies, There are tons of them. You know, there are tons. But I would say if you're looking for a dystopian movie that I think visually is done well and has plenty of weird moments as well as controversial and brutal stuff, this would be a movie for you. So I'm going to recommend it to people. I don't know if I'd put it as high as a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like I'd probably have it in the 80s maybe. Yeah, I'd say that's probably about fair. That's splitting hairs a little bit, though, probably. Like, for an indie movie, basically, which this almost was, 
You know, we didn't even get into the whole Weinstein thing about how he had the rights for like two years and wanted 20 minutes cut out of it. And Bong said, no, I'm not cutting out 20 minutes of this film no matter what. I would have hated that. So it ended up just being on limited release in the States, but made money everywhere else. So that's also something that we never got into. But I would definitely recommend this movie to people to check out if you're looking for a dystopian future movie that's well acted and has a bunch of weird shit going on. I think that's, you know, that's the very, (laughs) that's the very cut and dry. Like, hey, just go see this movie because of that, you know. (laughs) And it's got Chris Evans and lots of amputations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if that's your thing, you're going to love it. <laughs> that's your thing. Yeah. I mean, I do think oh, I do think that the I know we're wrapping up, but I do think that the limited release of it has made it so that a lot of people have no idea that this movie existed. True. When I told people we were doing this movie, they were a lot of people were like, I've never I don't even know what that is. And if they didn't catch it on Netflix, and, then they definitely didn't. <laughs> yes, exactly. So but I think that. It is for such a limited release movie, it had enough people who have seen it and said it was good enough that it's actually done better than most limited release movies. Yeah, this is definitely a cult movie as well. Agreed. All right. So thank you very much, Mandy, for being on the show. This is great. You are welcome. So for everyone, if you would like to continue to support Ian Hates Movies, you can go ahead and follow any of the links in the description of this episode. We are also still continuing our contest. Please go to iTunes and rate us five stars and leave a comment. We will read them on the air within reason, of course. And we have merch coming this year, which is going to be awesome. We have a lot of stuff happening in 2017. So happy 2017, everybody. That's also something we didn't do at the beginning of the show. (laughs) But yes, once again, thank you, Mandy. We are going to have our anniversary show coming up where Mandy will also be making an appearance. So that's a a little bit of a spoiler alert, but I won't go into (laughs) the other things that we will be doing on that show. But that will be very interesting. So I think that brings us to an end. So Mandy, do you have any final words for everyone? Um, Happy New Year. Happy 2017. And uh, Chris Evans is the best. Oh, look at that. Well done. And I will leave you... (laughs) The way I always do, long days and pleasant nights. Thanks, everyone. This chaos. A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated my train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is the world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. Know your place. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What do you say? We take the engine and we control the world. When is the time? Soon. This is disorder. We're going to the front. Open the gate. We know you well, Mr. Curtis. We've been watching you. Precisely 74% of you shall die. 
not a leader. <laughs>